Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Mickliffe podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, recent reports have once more highlighted the urgency of climate change. And even in this week's budget, we've seen how the carbon tax is now being used as an instrument to change our behaviour. Put simply, we will all have to live differently if the issue is going to be addressed. Interestingly, a recent opinion poll in the Irish Times pointed to the fact that while most people consider climate change to be a major problem, there would appear to be a great reluctance among a fair number of people to make a contribution by changing how they themselves live. But does change have to be painful and can we begin to live in a manner that takes greater consideration of the environment and the future of the planet without engaging in major upheaval? Dr Tara Shine is the author of How to Save Your Planet One Object at a Time and the co-founder with Madeleine Murray of Change by Degrees, a business that promotes sustainability at home and in the workplace. Tara has been an environmental scientist for over 20 years and spent eight of those years as climate advisor to the Mary Robinson Foundation. Tara, you're very welcome. Thank you, Mick. Lovely to be with you. Tara, I suppose the place to start is with the individual. And as you're no doubt well aware that in some circles, there still persists a notion that basically a responsibility for tackling climate change should be thrust on largely onto big corporations and those responsible for the largest part of pollution rather than individuals. And by extension, I suppose, within our own little island, this notion that Ireland is such a small country, does it really matter what we do here? What would your initial reaction be to that? So it is never an either or, in my opinion. It is, we need all of the above and they they fill different functions. So if you start, yeah, right at the international level where I worked for over 20 years, um, you need to have an international agreements between countries and how they're all going to work together to solve the global problem. So something like climate change is a global problem. It absolutely demands a global response. So you have to have at that top level international agreement. And that's between governments. And there's no getting around that. Do we need corporates to do more? Absolutely. Particularly the corporates that are the in the dirtiest industries that are most polluting the fossil fuel industries. They're most responsible. Some of them are more responsible as individual companies than whole countries. Um, and in fact, it's not just those corporates that are already in the dirty sectors. It's actually all corporations, all businesses that have a role to play in taking action to reduce their emissions and to be more resilient to you know, the effects of extreme weather. Um, but we all play a part too as individuals. So something that led me to set up Change by Degrees was a, a certain element sometimes of frustration in working as a policy advisor, advising governments and politicians, that sometimes they came to me looking for advice and wanting to be really ambitious. What can I do that is really going to turn the tide, Tara, be really change-making? And I tell them, well, you could do this and this. And then they'd say, mm, I don't think the voters would support me to do that. I don't think business would support me to do that. I don't think I'll get voted back in if I do that. 
And so I found this disconnect between my role as a policy advisor wanting to help political leaders to be to take the bravest decisions possible with what they felt to be a lack of demand uh, amongst the citizens of, of countries, including Ireland, that wanted that change. And so when we set up Change by Degrees, Madeleine Murray and I, in, in 2018, it was to try and engage um, and educate um, and empower more people to be part of the conversation on sustainability and climate so that when political leaders and political parties were brave enough to put something on the table, that we would say, yes, thank you. We want you to do that. Yes, we know it might uh, it will lead to change. It might uh, require us to do things differently, but we're still for it because we get it. We get it why it's important. So a big reason that individuals are important to me is because we collectively as individuals are the citizens of a country. And if we don't support our political leaders to do the right thing, nothing will change. So it is not an either or. It's a false dichotomy to say, do we need individual action or government action? It is just like the COVID pandemic. In order to get the COVID pandemic under control, government had a role to play. It set the regulations. It said what the rules were. Um, but it also looked after the people who were going to lose their jobs and who couldn't be at work. But it required us as individuals to each take responsibility for our own actions. Nobody could make us wash our hands or do social distancing. We had individual responsibility for that. And climate change needs the exact same. It needs the bottom up actions of all of us and the role of governments and corporates as well. Okay, and your company changed by degrees. And come to that in a minute. And as, as it's, it does what it says in the tin. I think to the extent that we can do it by degrees, so to speak. But one thing that strikes me, just in, in terms of what you said there, Tara, is that um, we're told, or the impression is certainly being given, that it is so urgent now. And for example, the most obvious thing there being the fifty-one percent reduction in emissions by twenty thirty, that. It won't be by degrees. It'll have to be pretty drastic, or that seems to be what we're told. No, it won't be by degrees. Um, I guess you can look at our name and figure out trying which kind of degrees I'm talking about. But we're also looking at, yeah, I'm looking at degrees of change, but I'm also very conscious of the degrees of warming that we're trying to limit uh, ourselves to. And what we know is we have to keep warming to no more than 1.5 degrees on average across the world, warmer than it was in the pre-industrial times. So when we started to burn coal in the Industrial Revolution. Um, and so, no, we need to make seismic shifts in the way that we run society, uh, the economy, the way we travel, the way we do industry, the way we manufacture. And we have to make the bulk of those changes in the next nine years. There's no getting away from that. Um, otherwise, the planet will go on and be fine. But we as humanity will very find it very, very hard to live on this planet in a way that is enjoyable and pleasant. So um, it's in our own interest as human beings to make these changes. Will it be challenging? Yes. Will it cost money? Yes. Will it create jobs? Yes. Will it make our world a safer, healthier, cleaner place to live? Yes. Um, will it be better for future generations? Yes. So there's a bit of hardship, but there's also a whole lot of benefits that we can get out of this as well. And that's the selling bit, like, isn't it, Chad? Being able to we focused up until now always on the negatives, never on the positives. Drives me crazy. So there are loads and loads of positives around, you know, if I was to ask you around what's important to you in terms of your daily life, um, you'd say, look, I want, I want to be healthy. So you need clean air, clean water, good quality food, yeah? You want your kids to have good opportunities. You want them to have schools to go to where they learn about the things that are going to get them a nice job in the future. 
um, you're going to want them to grow up and be able to go into a, a good job. So those good jobs are going to be green jobs, sustainable jobs in the future. So the answers to all the things that you want in your life are probably have a sustainable story somewhere behind them. So this is not all about hardship. It's about change and change can be scary. And we have to break habits, habits of a lifetime. It, it'll be as hard to change as giving up smoking. Like it's going to be hard. But the benefits on the other side are really, 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 uh, are really positive. And, 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 you know, for our kids, you know, I have, I have a, an 11 year old and a 14 year old and, you know, I, it cannot be that they look back on me, back on us as the grown-ups and said, look, you really messed it up for us. And you rested it up so bad that there's nothing we can do to fix it. Like that would just be, that's just irresponsible. No generation has done that to the generation before, not even the generations that took us to war. So um, I just think every day that's like a, a bit of a, of a clarion call to us all that, you know, it may be a little bit of hardship for the next nine years, but surely that's worth it. Um, and even that hardship, I think, is overstated. Great, yeah, and it's it's great to hear it put that way, Tara, and hopefully we, we can get more of the positive in that respect because, as you say, most people, in, hands up myself, most people in the media as well have, have approached it perhaps from a negative point of view. Let's take it down to the individual. Change by degrees, how did you start and where are you going? Yeah, so uh, we were together exactly where we started Change by Degrees this morning, actually, Madeleine and I. So Change by Degrees started uh, on a slipway by Sandy Island in Kinsale. So I was getting out from a swim um, and Madeline Murray was sitting on the wall at the slip and um, she stopped me. We, we didn't know each other. We had mutual friends. And she's like, you work on climate and environment, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. She said, well, I, I'm really annoyed because nobody's educating the grown-ups, the adults that make decisions about sustainability. My son gets to be on a green school and green committee. He gets to learn all about recycling and renewable energy, but he doesn't make any decisions. He doesn't pay any of the bills. He's not passing the information up to me and we can't wait for him to grow up to solve the problem. So why isn't there anything for us as grown-ups in terms of being better educated around what to do? And that conversation led to a lunch, which led to the creation of Plastic Free Sale, which is a community initiative that we set up. And very quickly after that, to the creation of Change by Degrees. So yeah, we're three years old now and um, happily very, very busy. It's It's interesting that the demand for sustainability advice and services has really, really increased in the last 12 months. And for someone who's in the game as long as me, like 25 years and more, that is heartening. I have to say, it used to be people didn't want to hear what I had to say about climate and the environment and whatever, but um, but now it's top of mind for so many. And for instance, you would work with a lot of companies who've come to the conclusion that they have to be more sustainable. What kind of things, for example, would you be doing with businesses? The things we do kind of fall into three buckets. So first of all, we help businesses with strategy. So we give them advice. So they might not have a sustainability strategy. They might not know what it is that they're trying to achieve. So you'll have heard all these businesses, for example, announcing net zero by 2050 targets. So, so what does that mean? Is that an appropriate target for a company? If you set it well, what do you have to do to achieve it? What would you need to do between now and 2025? What kind of actions would you need to take? So we help businesses to kind of benchmark themselves against the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. They're called the SDGs. They cover all aspects of sustainability. So social stuff, environmental stuff and economic things. 
Um, so we have them to get those strategies in place and turn them into really practical action plans so they can roll it out across an organization so that every department, whether it's human resources, finance, legal or the people on the shop floor, know what they have to do to help deliver on the strategy. The other thing we do is we work on education and employee engagement. So some of the best companies in Ireland and the world have really amazing sustainability strategies, but perhaps only one or two people in the company can explain to you what that strategy is. Um, so what we do is we try and engage the whole employee base around what uh, the sustainability strategy is, why it's important and what their role is in delivering it. And I have to say we have great fun designing and delivering those those campaigns. So like every month there could be a different theme, activities, things to learn, something to watch or listen to for employees so that this becomes everybody's job and not just the job of somebody wearing the hat of sustainability officer. And the third thing we do, uh, and which is another passion both for Madeleine and myself, is we work on sustainability communications. Uh, because just as we've been talking about, for too long we have communicated sustainability really badly, which has made people run away from it rather than towards it. So uh, it's also a world, particularly around the world of climate, that is completely laden with impenetrable jargon and technical phrases. So half the time, nobody knows what you're talking about anyway. So what we do is we try and unpick that, demystify it, say it in straight language and find more positive ways of communicating about climate change that will bring people running towards sustainability rather than running for cover. Great. And you mentioned business there, Tara. Within the business community, is there any set particular goals for emission reduction or anything? Or is that kind of left down to individually or individual sectors? Or So it depends which sector you're in. Some business sectors in Ireland are covered by something called the European Emissions Trading Scheme. So they actually have to report their emissions and they have to, they're held to account for that. But other companies will, um, in the private sector, particularly smaller ones, don't have anything in particular that they have to commit to. But they obviously have to be part of us as a country reducing our emissions by 51 percent by 2030. So they're going to have to figure out what their role is in, in that. And the climate action plan that will be coming out very shortly um, will be kind of further stating what are the kinds of actions that are required across different different sectors and different businesses. And again, if you're a bigger business of like 250 employees or more with a larger turnover, then new European directive is going to be bringing in requirements for you to disclose your carbon emissions year on year, just like you would have in the past disclosed elements of your um, your, your balance sheet and your revenue and things like that. So it's all changing. And in your experience, just staying with business for a minute, the attitudes in business in general, are, are they like, on one hand, perhaps, like uh, we have to do this climate thing in order to uh, stay on the right side of everybody? Or is there a genuine feeling in a lot of them that this is the correct way to do sustainability, literally in terms of their business, that it's going to be able to be sustainable right into the future? It varies according to business, to be honest. Some businesses have sustainability in their DNA. It's part of who they are. Um, and it's part of why they set up. Others have come to it and learned about it. So they feel the demand from their um, customers. Um, they might be a supplier to, to someone up the chain where they're having to, to respond to requests, you know, procurement requests, where now those buyers of their services or their goods are saying, well, tell me how, they, tell me how you're sustainable. So they're having to respond to that. Um, so whether it's regulation or, or clients and customers, the, the push factors can be different. 
Um, and most of those companies that are feeling these push-pull factors are changing for genuine reasons and changing because they see that if they want their business to continue into the future, this is something they just have to do. There are a few that are out there who just want to jump on the latest tagline that join the bandwagon and are not prepared to make the fundamental changes within their business. But those are the ones that you will find getting called out pretty quickly uh, for greenwashing. Um, So if you're authentic and honest about what you're doing as a business, then you shouldn't be afraid to talk about it because no business is doing it perfectly. That's for certain. So being honest about what your starting point is, the actions you're trying to take, how you're improving year on year is perfectly fine. You don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be honest and transparent about it. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Okay, I'm back to the individual again and specifically Tara the home. And one of the big issues, and there's been huge mention of this, and there's a, a, an awful lot of money is being put aside for it, and that's retrofitting homes. Now, on the basic level, what is involved in retrofitting and how much could people expect in general to have to pay for it, um, notwithstanding whatever contribution there may be from the state as well? So isn't retrofitting a terrible word? I think it sounds very painful. It is, yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> Back to the future. So let's talk about home upgrades. Um, so how about right. upgrading your home and uh, making it more comfortable and cosy and making it cost less to heat, right? So this is a thing I think all of us could get behind. Um, talk, think about also maybe if you're, if you're reliant on an open fire or an old stove for heating, the fact that you might improve the air quality in their house too, because you don't want to be sitting in your own home breathing in bad air. That's actually bad for your health. So if you want to upgrade your home, then there are supports available through the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland where you can get grants to insulate your attic, to fill your walls, um, to do bigger jobs than that to put in an air uh, heat pump, um, whatever it is that you might need to do. The cost completely depends on your house. Um, So some of these measures are really quite straightforward and not too costly and the grants are are very generous. Uh, On other houses, it's a bit more complicated. So it depends when your house was built, um, how it was built, how well it was built. And unfortunately, so many of our houses in the boom were built so badly that there's quite a lot of fixing up to do. Um, so you do need to look on a case by case basis. So the thing to do is have a look at the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland website around what kind of grants are available. They are worth getting. There was a myth going around there a few years ago that they weren't worth getting, that there was too much paperwork involved. It's not. It's easy. So find a find a contractor who's who signed up to the to the scheme and who can help you with the forms. They're not onerous. Um, and that way you can do the work and get it done more, more cheaply. And I think often those um those contractors are also, you know, they're they're qualified, they're registered, so you're hopefully going to get a good quality work done. And upgrading the home, as we shall call it, is it something that um, people should have a duty to do, not dissimilar to, for example, cutting down on plastic, etc., all that? Or do you know what I mean? Is, is it pretty vital in terms of individuals' contribution to reducing emissions or is it something that would help rather than perhaps being vital, to put it that way? Yeah, now, so I wish I had this statistic in my head. Um, I'll send it to you afterwards. But the United Nations Environment Programme in their studies found that a very significant portion of global emissions comes from activities associated with our homes and our lifestyles. So, yes, and in Ireland, residential emissions are a significant contributor to climate change. So, yes, changing our homes really, 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 really matters. 
Um, but it has to be affordable. So the grants are important, but for people on lower incomes, that still may be out of reach. So then we have to look at, are there ways of getting preferable loans? So the credit unions are looking at this. Um, it's something that Unpost is looking at as well. Um, so are there ways to get preferable loans? Uh, but we also have to make it... Um, we also have to create incentives or else an onus, for example, on landlord owned rental properties for this to happen. So that's where something making something more uh, a requirement, I think, could be really, really interesting. And then obviously government is you'll have seen that in the budget the other day, the government is investing a lot more money in upgrading uh, social housing which is absolutely critical too, because the people in social housing are the very people who can least afford to be paying high bills. And sometimes we have older and more vulnerable people living in social housing and we don't want them to be living in poor quality, damp accommodation or with air pollution, indoor air pollution or any of those things. So this to make this switch in our residential sector to really upgrade this many homes is a massive challenge because we don't have enough skilled people. We need to make it affordable and accessible um, to all and we need to do it really quickly. Um, so it's one of those that, you know, if we think the housing crisis is hard, um, doing the housing crisis, you know, so come finding solutions to that, building a lot of new homes. But I would hope also looking at all the derelict buildings we have in our towns and cities. I think that's a missing piece at the moment, how we how we restore and bring back to life many of the, the old buildings that are in at the hearts and souls of our towns, cities and villages at the moment. But then at the same time, bringing the existing stock up to up to a better spec. That is a hell of a lot of work and a lot of jobs within the construction sector. So that has to be a massive growth area in the coming years. And it's going to lead a lot of investment both public and private, I think, to make that happen. Yeah, and as you said, there's a huge number of jobs available mm. there and it'll be a question of getting, presumably we'll have to get skilled people in exactly. from abroad because we won't be able to produce them ourselves. Well, we'll have to upskill people. So you've have heard of the just transition. So some people mm. in Ireland will lose their jobs because they they work in a carbon intensive sector that's going to start hemorrhaging jobs right now. So there's going to have to be for some people that are eligible and for whom it suits, we'll have to there'll be that opportunity to retrain and upskill to make the most of these new jobs. I think we're also going to have to look at new types of apprentice schemes to make it attractive for more young people to go into these types of professions. So I think it's going to be a really good job to be a highly skilled um, technical expert, construction expert tradesperson in the field of green energy, renewable energy, insulation, passive homes in the future. So I think, you know, it's for us as parents as well to realise that's a really great career for your kid to get into. They might not go to university, but they might get this great skill and this great trade. And that might be of more service to, to the country than anything else in the next while. Um, but yeah, getting those skills and growing those skills um, in Ireland, as well as bringing them in from outside and making it attractive for people to come and work here is definitely going to be part of the solution. Right. And staying with the home and down to brass tacks, as mm -hmm. they say, the, the specifics, and this is where a lot of this stuff is in your book, Tara, but the specifics of how, even as, as things are at the moment, we can uh, cut back on energy and be more efficient and what have you. And I noticed one of the big uh, electricity users is a uh, tumble dryer. Yeah, I was talking about this the other day. Yeah, so tumble dryers, I don't have one even. So believe it or not, you can live in Ireland and not have a tumble dryer. I don't either. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so tumble dryers are one of the biggest, most intensive users of energy in the home. And so they cost a lot to run. 
And the older they are and the less energy efficient. So if it's like, you know, there's the energy symbol on, on any appliance that you buy now and it goes up to A++ and, and down low. Um, so if it's an older one, it's probably not so efficient. So it's using even more energy to do to do the job. So if you have a tumble dryer, then obviously try and use it as little as you can to save yourself money. And then it uses less energy. And if some of that energy right now is coming from natural gas and even some coal burning in Ireland, then that helps you to avoid those emissions. Um, and then look for what else you can do. So I, I still hang clothes on the line, old fashioned. Um, and people might say, but it rains all the time in Ireland in the winter. It actually doesn't rain all the time. And there's this great expression they have in Donegal that I love. So in Donegal in the winter, you hang your clothes out for a scuff. And the scuff gets the heavy wet out of the clothes during the day, even if it's not a great drying day. So that when you bring the clothes in at night and hang them on an air, they will be dry by the next morning, just from the, you know, the ambient heat in the house. So we have some of these ways of doing things that we've maybe just got out of the habit of. So um, you can live without a tumble dryer. Um, so maybe or use your tumble dryer a little yes, less and use the line outside and an error inside a little bit more. And then look for other things like, you know, one of, again, the, the most energy sucking appliances we have is the kettle, because obviously we're impatient and we want boiling water instantaneously for our cup of tea or coffee. Um, so yeah, 85% of the carbon footprint of your cup of tea or coffee is just comes from boiling the kettle, not growing the coffee and transporting it from Brazil or anything, but actually boiling the kettle. And many of us are, uh, many of us are at fault for kind of overfilling the kettle, just automatically filling it to the top every time we turn it on. Or I, what I call the serial reboilers, where you re hit the button about three times before you get around to actually having the cup of tea and all of that is just unnecessary use of energy which contributes to climate change but also just costs you money so it's just about creating new little habits like just put the amount of water in the kettle that you need um yeah get into new habits about hanging out clothes always fill the dishwasher and the washing machine don't put them on in peak time so don't put them on between seven and nine in the morning or five and seven in the evening put your machines on at times where there's less demand on the grid. If you can put any of those appliances on at night, then you're more likely to be using wind energy um, because we get more wind at night and there's less demand on the grid at night. Um, so there's loads of little things that you can do like that. And, and you know, even things like a Hoover. A Hoover is using energy all the time you have it turned on. So don't leave it turned on and go and answer the door or move the furniture around or go and do something for the kids. Turn it off each time. And it's actually quite significant. That's quite a powerful device. So if you turn it off and you're not using it, every time it saves you money. Yeah, just, just briefly on the tumble dryer, the kind of image it provokes there, uh, Tara, is, you know, and the way you described about bringing in the clothes and that, it's really what you're talking about. It's just going back to an earlier age and doing things the way people used to do things before all this came along. And everybody was perfectly be happy doing it that way at the time. It's just getting into a mentality to be able to... Um, get back to that kind of a situation? Well, I don't want to give you in any sense an impression that the future of sustainability is going back to the past. But I think what sustainability certainly no, is, not, yeah. is, is the combination of the best things we did in the past with amazing, exciting new innovations for the future. So to give you an example, I, I, I made a television program once in Abu Dhabi. And it was in this Mazdar city, which was a built from scratch, sustainable city. So it's, it had some of the most amazing technology around being sustainable in the whole world. But the 
most amazing thing about it was the bay, the way it was designed and built was informed by the way they built Arabic architecture in the past, which was to create uh, corridors um, in the direction of the um, prevailing wind to allow a breeze to constantly blow through the city. And that was one of the biggest innovations in the building of the city was they built it to this old knowledge, but then they added all this modern new spec on top of it. So yes, for every one old way of doing thing like don't waste food because why would you and hang your washing on the line there will be an equal number of really amazing new exciting innovations um like washing machines in the future that will wash clothes with hardly any water that won't require detergent all of these kind of things are coming down the line and they're as exciting i think as kind of bringing back to life some of the old sensible things we used to do Absolutely. And just briefly, one other quick element to uh, domestic living that strikes me. Um, pilot lights, televisions, laptops, that sort of thing. It, are, are they a big deal? Yeah. So about 11% of your electricity bill um, is made up of uh, vampire energy. So that comes from leaving things on standby. So yeah, 11% of all the electricity used in the EU by household sources is attributable to standby energy. So it's bonkers stuff. Like, for example, okay, the television, maybe you've one or two laptops, that kind of thing. laptop, I'm looking around my office, printer. What if you have a shredder and you leave that on? PlayStation, switch plugged in, uh, radio, TV, microwave, uh, stereo. Like all of those things potentially have a stand have a have a standby function, right? Which is a convenience thing, so that you don't have to restart it from zero each mm. time. Um, but while there's any kind of light on, or if something gets warm, so actually, and I did loads of research on this for the book because I I didn't quite believe it. But even having like mobile phone um, chargers plugged in, if anything feels warm, it's actually doing it's using some energy. So put your hand on it. If it's warm, it's using some energy. So then you have to unplug those things or turn them off at the wall. Um, but yeah, it's actually costing you money. And I mean, if someone said you'd save 10% off your electricity bills when you were going to switch from plan A to plan B, you'd, you'd bite their hand off for it. So you can do that within your own home by taking as many things off standby as you can. Now, some of them, if I take them off standby, my husband kills me because it throws off the clock and it resets things and I get in massive trouble. Um, but some others are very, very simple and easy to turn off. Like I would never dream of leaving any kind of computer monitor left on overnight, printers, all those things. Like turn them off. Yeah, it's amazing it's how we've habit. all slipped into it. It's yeah, just yeah. a new habit. And I mean, if you if you don't have time to go around device by device, well, then put several of them on like one of the, the power strips. And just have one switch that you need to turn off. So if it's if it's a convenience thing that's preventing you from doing it, see how you can like get as many things, um, you know, linked so you can turn them off in all all in one go. A uh, silly thing that my wife gets on to me about, and that is drinking an awful lot of water, particularly sparkling water, whether need to or not. But the whole issue around plastic bottles, where where would you stand in that? So plastic as a form of packaging, I think, is something that we've come to rely a lot on. Uh, for some things, plastic is brilliant. So, you know, if you want something to last 100 years hmm. and hold something toxic within it, well, then plastic is an amazing substance for doing that. <laughs> if you want to build a medical device or some crazy, you know, I don't know, thing to keep an artery open and plastic can do it, then plastic is amazing, right? That's all fine. I think the problem is that we use plastic, which is highly durable and lasts for hundreds of years 
now to fill functions for things that are very short term. So to hold water in for a matter of weeks or months, to hold a coffee in for maybe 15 minutes. And that's where we've gone wrong. And we, and we also overpackage things. So everything's overpackaged, you know. Um, so what the question is with plastic is, what can you do to reduce it? Because plastic, is, it isn't just the waste that you create. And you might say, well, I'm going to recycle all those water bottles. But every time we make plastic, like what's plastic made from? Plastic's made from oil, from petroleum, that has to be extracted from the ground. To make plastic loses a lot of en- uses a lot of energy. So the making of plastic, the plastic industry alone, is a really, really um, big culprit in, in climate change. So it causes a lot of, of, of carbon pollution. And then the waste associated with plastic creates even more pollution, again, um, and more carbon emissions. So it's the whole cycle of the thing. So it's, if there's an unnecessary use of plastic in packaging and there is an alternative, then that's better. So if we could have a glass bottle exchange system, for example, that would be a better way to, for you to get your fizzy water. Or you might be better to get, if you drink loads of it, a soda stream and just put the fizz in your own water, for example. So there are always alternatives. You know, it's not about, this is not about taking all the good things out of your life and the stuff that keeps you safe. Like if yeah. someone said to me, I couldn't have coffee anymore, I'd be the grumpiest, most upset person in the world. Like I need coffee to function, but I can make a choice about the kind of coffee I, I, I buy. So I don't, you know, I try and buy fair trade coffee when I can. I don't use those pods to make coffee. I use a plunger. Um, you know, the things I can do to make my coffee more sustainable while still having that coffee in my life and still enjoying it. One quick thing on that theme, Tara, and that is doing the weekly shopping, uh, particularly fruit, vegetables to a lesser extent, but definitely with fruit. Still, the big supermarkets are using huge amounts of plastic and it, it, it's difficult for a lot of people to get around that. Yeah, I think what makes it particularly difficult, so more and more of them now have offered you the choice at least. So in my local supermarkets, I have a choice of loose apples or pre-packed mm. apples, for example. My major complaint, however, is that quite often the pre-packed is cheaper than the loose. So one lemon in my local shop costs 50 cents and three lemons in a plastic net costs 49 cents. So now if so that means you have to be as committed as me and have money enough money that month to be able to make the decision to buy one melon or one lemon for for 49 cents for 50 cents you know like so we need there to be a the costs can't be differential it can't be more costly to do the right thing because actually it's more costly for the planet the the version that's wrapped up Mm -hmm. in plastic but we don't put a cost on the waste associated uh with the plastic we don't cost the pollution at all in the system so we have to start to cost that pollution and at least to give people uh, both the choice, which we increasingly we have now, but a, a choice that is on parity in terms of, of the cost. Um, and then we all have to collectively continue to push and encourage, encourage the supermarkets to give us more and more choice. So it's not just the fruit and veg aisle where we have some choice, but also when we're looking for pasta, rice, uh drinks, yogurts, cheese, all of these things can come packaged in different ways that are more and less sustainable. Um, And we just need to, we need to get more choice and then it to be affordable equally. Okay. um, Now, one quick issue just in terms of uh, politically, there's certainly a bit of division about it and it it looks like it's something that's going to definitely feature more in the coming years. Where do you stand on the carbon tax and increasing the carbon tax in order to affect behaviour? 
So carbon tax is proven the world over to be a really useful tool because it does exactly what I was just talking about. It puts a price on pollution. That's what carbon tax does. So it's like, you know, it's 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 like putting a price on something bad. So we put extra taxes on cigarettes because they're bad. They have they're bad for individuals, but there is a cost to the public health system if more and more people in a given country smoke. So we tax a bad. In this case, carbon pollution is killing people. Just look at air pollution alone in Ireland kills 1,300 people a year. Okay, we don't have any ads about air pollution, right? Less, less, far less people die from car accidents and we have lots of ads in the public awareness about car accidents, for example. So we do need to, we do need to create these, these incentives to change behaviour and we have to tax things that are bad for us so that we create disincentives to use them. And so the things that are good get to compete fairly in the system. What I think we don't talk enough about uh, in terms of the carbon tax, and which wasn't mentioned at all on Tuesday and what I heard, is that the carbon tax is one of the few taxes we have in Ireland that is hypothecated. There's a good treasury word for you. So that means it's ring fenced. So when we agreed to increase the carbon tax, each yearly increase has a ring fence put around it and the money is invested back in climate action measures. So the increase in the fuel allowance that was announced on Tuesday is funded by the carbon tax. The money to do the the home upgrades for social housing is funded by the carbon tax. The money needed to restore the peat bogs in the Midlands is funded by the carbon tax. We don't tell people that. So for me, I feel much better paying a carbon tax because A, I know it's it's making something that's bad for me cost more, so it creates a disincentive. But then the, that tax is also taken and put straight back into solving the problem. Um, it's also paying for fast chargers across the country. That's another thing carbon tax is paying for. So there I just believe we have a communications problem. Um, I think that if people could see that, you know, when I get petrol and diesel at the pump, the money is taken off me. But then if I could look over and see that house is paid, the home upgrade of my house was now paid for by the carbon tax. Or the reason my mum has access to, or my elderly parent has access to a fuel allowance and a high enough increase in her fuel allowance is because that was paid for by the carbon tax. Now I feel quite different about it. Um, but for some reason we don't talk about that yet. And that's really, really important. A very good point, because that, that is a common complaint about taxation in general. People talking about paying more tax, they wouldn't mind if they knew where it was going, etc. But as, as, yeah, as you and say, it's guaranteed really, in this instance. It's really, really rare tax. So it's really, really rare for us to have taxes that are ring fenced in this way. The other one is the plastic bag tax, which all of us will remember. So our plastic bag tax is also ring fenced. And all of that money goes into things like... Um, research on environmental and climate related issues, amongst other things. So there are very few taxes that are ring fenced in this way and carbon tax is one of them. Um, And so, yeah, it's directly the money is directly going back into solving the problem. And that's a really good thing to know. Tara, finally, are you confident? Uh, About what, the future of humanity or? (laughs) The future of the planet, anyway. Well, no, the planet, I'm very... I'm very confident about the future of the planet because the planet will be here no matter what, uh, even if we've obliterated ourselves off it. Well, the state of it, yeah. 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 So, uh, and you know, if the planet kills off all human beings, it will regenerate and it will be fine because then we are the source of the problem, we'll be gone. There isn't another species on the planet causing the problem. It's it's just us, yeah? It's just homo sapiens. Yeah. We're the only ones causing the problem and we're the only ones who can solve the problem. So all we have to do is decide we want to solve the problem because we're brilliant and we're amazing and we're empathetic and we're creative 
and we're inventive and we have solved harder things in the past. So if we just want to make sure we still exist in a few hundred million years, then it's a no brainer. Why wouldn't we just go ahead and do it? So, of course, I'm optimistic. Yes. <laughs> Tara, thanks for very much uh, an optimistic view on the whole thing. Very refreshing, I have to say. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much, Mick. That's Tara Shine, and for some major practical advice, get your hands on how to save your planet one object at a time. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening and let us know what you think of the podcast at mick.clifford at examiner.ie. Take care till we meet again. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are like interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.